Hello and welcome to the Hospice Podcast. We're here at St John's in lovely Lancashire and today we're here to talk about children, young people and grief and we're lucky enough to be joined by Heather and Rachel. Heather is our advanced nurse practitioner here at St John's. Heather, welcome. Hi, thank you. How long have you been with us? I've worked in this building for 15 years and also we've got with us Rachel Makinson who's the engagement officer for our fabulous new forget-me-not centre. Hello, Hello, Rachel. Hi, Sophie. Nice to be here. Great. So we're going to get straight into this discussion, which is obviously going to be a difficult but very important discussion. And I'm going to start off by asking one big question, which is, do children grieve the same way as adults do? Children are affected by loss probably more than adults. Um, They may grieve in slightly different ways, but they are as affected as adults are. And I think that's why it's so important that we try to get it as right as we can for children. Give me an example of that. I think there's a common thought that as adults, we we want to protect children. That's what we do as, as adults. And it's very easy to think they're too young to understand, we don't want them to be upset, we'll keep them, you know, we, we will protect them. Yeah. And actually in protecting them, we're not helping them um, at all. It's better, what we know is it's better for children to be involved and then that helps their grief process afterwards. So in terms of picking up on your word involved and children being in, involved, do they have? Do children have a different understanding of death depending on their age group? Because children is a huge term, isn't it? You know, from a five-year-old to fifteen-year-old, and you know, in between. And I, I am presuming that that changes from a child who's at primary school to early secondary school, etc. Yeah, I think that you know, if you've got a very small child or a baby, um, obviously they're aware that something's changed. Um, okay they can be acutely aware of the atmosphere changing around them and the grief that's around them and they can develop a sense of abandonment. I think there's a saying that says the body remembers, um, even if they might not have memories of the person. And I think as they get older, children sort of at school age five to seven, mm-hmm. um, they, can, they have a lot of magical thinking as well, so they can't quite comprehend um, what's gone on or understand death. Tell me a little bit more about this term magical thinking. It sounds a bit like sorcery. It's a, psych- it's, a, it's a term that's used in psychology. It's a psychological term. And it means that children um, at the age of, yeah, but sort of th- three till seven, tend to see themselves as the center of the universe and as yes. if everything's controlled by them. The whole world revolves around them. You think of your typical toddler and everything does have to revolve around okay. them. <laughs> um, but because of that kind of thinking, they can believe that things happen because of things that they have said and done. Really? So, you know, I said to I was cross with mummy this morning and then something happened to this to mummy this afternoon. I must be the cause of that. Yeah. That's what we mean by magical thinking they imagine that they have caused something, not realising that they just don't have the power to do that. Okay, so that that's quite yes. dangerous, isn't it, when you could imagine that a child is, think, is, is thinking that they're responsible for the death 
of somebody. Yes, or for for a loved one's illness. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you were talking, uh, Rachel, you were talking about five to babies, five to seven-year-olds. Heather, be interested in your thoughts as children get older, perhaps early teens to mid-teens? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we talk about the sort of seven to 12-year age group first. Yes. Um, I think that by, by that age, children understand that people's illnesses um, aren't caused by an action of theirs, that they haven't caused it themselves. But sometimes they might regress and feel responsible. Um, but typically, school-aged children see the world as, as ordered. So they think if somebody has, has an illness, there must be a treatment and they should get better. Yeah. They believe things like um, illnesses transmitted by germs. So they worry that they can catch certain illnesses that aren't catchable, like motor neurone disease or cancer or heart failure. Um, and sometimes because of public health messages with children, they might believe things like all cancers are caused by cigarette smoking. So for that age group, it's very much about, about clarifying things for them. That's really helpful. Yeah. Thank you. By the time you get to, by the time you get to teenagers, 13 plus, they have a fairly good understanding right. of, of the permanence of death and um, the difficulty with teen, teenagers more is they're, they're going through that hormonal stage, that difficult bit between adult, um, adulthood and childhood, and they may find it more difficult to express um, their distress sometimes. They're, they're also more, um, may find it more difficult to speak to parents and carers than younger children. So, listeners might have felt to notice that you've used the word death. And it's something we've talked about in previous podcasts that I'd love to revisit again. And that's around the language. Rachel, I know this is something that you're very interested in. Yeah, I am, because it's it's such a it's such a quick change that we could as a society really make, which I know isn't easy to do, but I believe, you know, small seeds and um every time I work with someone and I'm sure it's the same, you know, in the ward and hospice at home, it's about um, using clear language and being really honest with children um, and, and I think it's very difficult to say to a child that somebody has died it's how, how do you tell them especially when it's somebody that you love too um, but it's more it's more important my understanding is to actually say dying died going to die than using the other language which we hear about mm. going to sleep going away absolutely absolutely i mean you think of all the euphemisms that we use um for death we say somebody has passed what does that mean to a child you pass an exam you walk past a window we might say they've gone to a better place what better place another house have they moved or children think things very very literally so it's very important to be to be clear Things like saying it's just like going to sleep. Death is not just like going to sleep. Um, it's very different. Mm. And if we say to a child that it's just like somebody's gone to sleep, mm -hmm. then you may have a child who has problems sleeping because they sure. don't want to um, not come back. After and they don't want sleep. anybody else to go to sleep either. No. You know, no. and um, also they're in the clouds. 
Yeah, you we know, hear that too. Um, you hear that too. And I heard a story recently about um, a child who was really looking forward to getting in the aeroplane because he was dying to see his daddy because he really thought he would be in the cloud. Okay. And he'd always understood that to be the case. That's that's really helpful. And when we're thinking about language, also my mind's ticking and thinking about language is one way we can help prepare children for death, obviously, if there is a diagnosis. Is there anything else that we can do as well as watching the language that we use? I mean, are there types of questions that we should look out for that children may ask? I think it's always good to be honest with children to let them know that if somebody has a, a diagnosis that means they're not going to get better, that that child knows that their loved one is seriously ill and that they know the name of the illness. This is something else people will avoid sometimes. They'll avoid right. the word cancer as well. And our best understanding of what's going to happen in clear and simple language at, at their level. And then checking out if there are any more questions they've got or if there's anything worrying them. Because often they will have things going through their mind that just aren't going to happen. Um, and you can, you can reassure on some of those things. It's really important to take things at a child's pace um, as okay. well and be prepared for them to react in their own, their own way. Rachel, do you have any thoughts, I'm sure you must do, about children, phases, timing? Mm. I think you've got to let the children set the pace themselves. Um, and I think w working alongside them... Um, as I would call myself almost a bereavement companion. Okay. So you're not going to pull anybody up the, the road of grief or whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. you know, or pull them through those feelings or force anybody to talk about anything they don't want to talk about. And, um, and actually by letting the children know that and saying, you know, when you're with me, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Um, that's really empowering for them. And you're actually more likely to get the child to step on board with you because this they, they start to trust you. Yeah. Um, Rachel, you just picked up on something there which, which I want to put to both of you, and that is something that I've been asked recently about what to do if your child does not want to talk about it. So this is somebody came recently and said that, you know, need the children to understand that, that daddy's dying and the children will not talk about it and this is causing some concern. Is that person right to feel concerned? Is that normal? It's important that children are allowed to talk but it's important yeah. also that they're not forced to talk. Okay. So if children don't want to talk I would say that's absolutely fine. What is important is that they know roughly what's going on so that even if they don't want to talk mm -hmm. if, if they're told um, you know that dad is poorly or was poorly now he is very very poorly okay okay and even that much says quite a lot to a, a child of a certain age so even if they don't talk back to you about it they still know what's happening and there's been that shift yeah, and at some at some point as well, it may just you may need just need to give that information, and he's not going to get better from this. Mm. At some point, he is going to die, and be as clear as that. It may be that children then don't want to talk, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. But I think it's about 
letting kids know that you're there if they do want to talk. Okay. I get it that you just want your own space, yeah. that I'm here, or to identify somebody outside of the family as well right. for a young person to talk to. They will often worry about talking to somebody inside the, the family in case they're upsetting people more. And that might be a teacher, it might be yeah. a family friend. Rachel, I can see you nodding away to this. Yeah, I think, you know, giving children a safe space to talk and somebody to talk to confidentially, you know, as long as that's safe for them and they know they can say because they do worry about burdening other family members. They yes. worry about the other family members um, and they get controlled. They get controlled. They get confused about their role within the family sometimes as well if somebody has died like a parent. Um, but I, I think that it's about creating the opportunities for them to talk if they want to yeah. and not closing that door and saying, well, that child doesn't want to talk about it, so that's it. But you can still guide them. You can still, um, that there's uh, one child that we work with who um, didn't want to talk about it, didn't want to talk about it. We built a school group around this child of other children who'd experienced change and loss and he loves it now. And he sat there and he's told his story. And, and you know, he's a very um, straight-talking young man. You know, he's, he's only at primary school. But he did it. He talked about it. At his pace. At his pace. When he was ready. With what, his, what I'm hearing yeah, from, with from his friends. And to the relief of his family. Mm. Because they were worried that this grief would sit there and sit there and sit there and eventually come out you know, in not a good way. So I'm going to move us on now to the actual subject of death. So, you know, obviously we've looked at preparing for the death in, in, in our language, what we do, whether children do and don't want to talk about it, their pace again. Immediately after death, do you have any advice, any pointers for people? Because... From my experience, and I know it's not all about me, but for example, we know, don't we, that some children families decide not to talk to them about it. I'm not saying there's an ideal way to do it, but can you offer your helpful thoughts on this? As soon as, soon as the loved one's died, it's important that somebody that the children knows well and feels safe with tell them that their loved one has died and use those words and gives them an opportunity to react as they react. Now, they may not react, or they may appear not to re react. They may be very upset, they may be very angry, but it's giving them space for that. The next thing is it's really important they get a chance to say goodbye. Okay. Now, some yeah. children will have had a chance to say goodbye before the person died. Mm -hmm. Some of them may not, and families may then be concerned about allowing a child to go and see um, their loved one's body. Again, children are very resilient and some children, when given the choice, will choose to, to see their loved one's body and will cope very, very well with that. But it's about giving children other ways to say goodbye if they don't want to see the loved one. Like make Tell us more about this, because this is really interesting, isn't it? Because I think, you know, what you've talked about there is, is something that a lot of people have been through it's about do we take the child to see the body will that upset the child will that stay with them can't think of anything else to do yeah 
So one way is for a child to write a letter or to yeah. make a card and then for an adult to take that in um, to the person who's died and we can explain to the child that that card will go with them okay. to the funeral directors, into the coffin if they wish. Some young children might want to give something to be put into the, the coffin with, yeah. with the parents so that little elephant goes with, with granny or whatever. So there are a number of different ways for that child to uh, connect and say goodbye without actually seeing the person's body. So in terms of when we talk about coffins, obviously my mind then goes to funerals and children attending funerals. Let's be honest, this is a controversial subject, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think it's great when children are given a choice as to what they want to do. It's difficult as, as adults because we know we, we're going to struggle with a funeral ourselves. Yeah. Um, but if we can explain to children what a funeral's about, and it's about saying goodbye and go through what's actually going to happen and give okay. the child a choice as to whether they want to go. They so talk a little bit about what might happen at a funeral so the child can make a decision about I don't like don't you know, don't like the sound of that, I'm not sure about that, or yes, I'm okay with that. Yeah, and just so that they're they're prepared. E even for explaining what a coffin is, showing them a picture from the internet yeah. that their the loved one's body will be inside this box. This is called a coffin. The picture that you made for granddad in in there with him. Children might want to take part in the service, like put a flower on the top of, of the coffin. Yeah. They might want to play their recorder in the service, or um, it's great if they can be part of it. I think so, you know, and I think um, again, yeah, just to echo what you said, just to just to give them the choice and. Let them take part if they want to, you know, and, and, and children can take part in lots of different ways. And, and it, it works both ways because the, the children keep the adults going quite often, you know, yeah. when something like this happens. And, um, and, it, and it's also great now because um, we can video funerals and that sort of thing through COVID that happened. And, you know, I've seen some children that I've worked with when they've stood up. With somebody that they trust and they've done a reading about yeah. somebody you know yeah. And, yeah. and they've got that memory of forever you know and yeah. and it's it completely twists against the sort of what they call the instagram lifestyle everybody's happy everybody's healthy well guess what that's not true you know and some of the first things i ever say to children is i am so sorry to hear whatever it is yeah. and the second thing i'll say life is not fair Mm. you know and and mm. that is absolutely key to the whole thing for me because once as soon as a person a child a young person however old they are realizes that life will actually be much easier for them because they won't expect everything as you said to be as seen on social media exactly. rachel really interested in your thoughts on any particular behaviors to look out for not necessarily immediately, well, yes, immediately after a death or the months that follow. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, you know, as adults, we worry about children. Is there anything that we would expect, anything that would cause alarm, anything to look out for? Yeah, I think um, a lot of children, I think, find it hard to talk and articulate. I think that um, there's a lot of anger, Yeah, a lot of guilt. A lot of confusion. Um, 
I think lots of children, I know it's not behaviour, but they get extremely tired because they're not able to sleep and they may be having right. nightmares. Um, so there's every single kind, really, of, of behaviour you would see. And we do a lot of work with children where we map out on a, a shape of the gingerbread man on the body and we put buttons on. We write the feelings around the body and we put buttons on where we feel it in our body. And it's physical feelings. Yeah, the physical feelings mm -hmm. from the emotion. And, and that's sort of one of the sort of little tools that we put in children's toolkits to understand, you know, you're worried, you're getting a headache, you're upset, you're crying, you know, what happens when you're really nervous, you're shaking, yeah. you know, and, and those manifestations. And then what happens when you're angry, you're shaking. And, and if you get angry with somebody and, and, and you might hit them, and then, you know, I talk to children and say, well, I, I, was, I was angry with the cancer. I don't know what came over me. So, Rachel, that's, that's really interesting to listen to and, and gives us an idea of, of things that we could possibly or should possibly be looking out for. Heather, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, and it's probably a huge and a wrong question to ask you, but is there anything that we can do to help children manage these behaviours? Because it's not nice for children, is it, to be feeling worried, anxious, guilty, angry? Yeah, I think, I think there's, there's a lot we can do. Um, we need to be letting children know that emotions are okay. We right. need we need as as adults to be showing that by not be being afraid to to be upset in in the child's presence. Be a little um, bit less British and actually show absolutely show some grief. yeah <laughs> show yeah. some emotion. Um, I think it's really important to keep other other people informed like school so whether it's school whether it's nursery whether it's college yeah so that so because lots of the behaviors will be in those settings that course, that are yes. different um, I think it's really important to continue with normal routines as much as possible because young people and children feel safe with normal routines like going to clubs going to football right yeah uh, going to youth club whatever it is um, the importance of allowing young people to talk or not talk and like we said earlier on, you, you won't you won't get a young person to talk by sitting them in a counselling room opposite no. opposite an adult. You'll get them to talk while they're playing or drawing, or doing whatever they do, playing the computer games. Then they might ask um, questions. Being alongside them, as you would say, Rachel, absolutely, is, is absolutely. the best place to be. And I think for teens, for teenagers, um, often suggesting artistic stuff, creative stuff can be helpful and writing, writing their feelings down, even if that sometimes is is just bashing the pen on the paper and scribbling and wrecking the notepad, that's actually fine. Punching a pillow is actually absolutely fine. Punching your mate at school isn't. So it's it's <laughs> it's yeah. letting them know the emotion is fine. It's just the yeah. And while we're talking up. about emotion, can we talk about the fact that there's a lot of theory out there, isn't there, that essentially children take their cue from the adults around them. So as adults, do we need to be a bit more conscious of our behaviour when we're around children at this time or not? I think, I mean, I think you should always be conscious of your behaviour around children um, because, yeah, they do take um, their prompts, but... But it's like Heather said, if you're upset, you're upset, you know, and, and if you get angry, 
you get angry and you might do something that you regret, but it's kind of coming afterwards and it's saying, I'm really sorry that I got upset with you then. I'm really sad because granddad's died. And sometimes yeah. those feelings just spill out of me and I, and I, and I see red. And, and a child will think, yeah, I know what you mean. I think that happens to me. So it's it's actually articulating the feelings or what happened, you know, if we if if the behaviour happened in the adult, then be able to say, This is what happened to me. So I suppose my billion dollar question to you is, you're sat there in floods of tears. Mm. Is it okay for your children to see you in floods of tears? Depends how long you've been in floods of tears. No. But, but no, I think it I think it is. And I think if you're sitting there in floods of tears, what's important for the child to know is I'm feeling sad because granddad has died. You haven't done anything to upset me. I'm going to be okay, but I just feel sad. Yeah. And allowing the child, because often children will come up and say, hug. Um, and want to give a hug and, and do that bit, and that's fine. I think what we don't want, if, if people are, are really crying all of the time, that could start to feel quite worrying for a yeah. child. So mm. that, that is the point at which maybe more help's needed. Mm. But I think for children to see people upset intermittently is fine, because mm. that's how they're going to feel as well. So thinking of tears, thinking of behaviours thinking about what you both said, which is really helpful in terms of being alongside the person and thinking about what we do. It's a really hard question. I'm going to put you both on the spot and I can't help myself, but building resilience at a time like this, is there anything else we can do to help build a child's resilience? I mean, you talked about carrying on with normal activities, like you said, football, computer games, it could be dance lessons, it could be anything. Is there anything else that we can do to help build this resilience? I think after after a death, um, it's important to still talk about the person who's died or mention the person who's died, so that the, yes. you, so the child doesn't feel it's some kind of unmentionable topic. Um, I think doing things on special days like anniversaries or birthdays and just acknowledging. Mother's um, Day, Father's Day. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that may be getting a balloon in, in remembrance of the, mm -hmm. the loved one and letting that go. Or it could be planting a plant, it could be yeah. anything. But just so that person continues to be remembered mm -hmm. um, in life. And that's all quite, you know, to listen to, it's all quite physical things, isn't it? The balloon, the cards... Yeah, I think so, and I, and I think th those memories, those actions, and those memories are really good. And I think you know, it's being able to, um, if you're resilient, you need to be able to acknowledge your difficult feelings, and you need to find out ways to manage those. And um, and I guess if you're a teenager as well, you know, it's about you're sort of dependent and you're becoming independent, and it's about uh, um, maybe they're talking to their friends, yeah. and that's okay. But it's 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 listening to them and listening to what they've got to say as children and young people and getting them involved in that memory making or whatever is special to them. Um, you know, I've got um, one young girl and she's making her grandma's, well, what her grandma used to make her to eat, she's going to make it for the whole family. Okay. And have like a special evening and, and everybody's up for it, you know, and it's so exciting. And, and, and I just think those sorts of things, and it doesn't have to be on an anniversary then, you know, we could... Mm -hmm. 
at the forget me not centre we could have one a quarter one a month you know from every different family um, and this is this is something i've heard you talk about as well before heather in terms of when something nice happens like for example you, you know when this meal is created grand would have loved to have seen you make her special dish you talked about this before yeah. haven't you heather in terms of yeah. again remembering that person not because that person's died, we don't talk about them anymore, and yeah, bring them into conversation. Yeah, I had a child um, a few weeks ago who'd got a good school report who said to me, uh, make sure you photocopy that and send a, a copy to heaven um, yeah. for their loved one to see. And um, although they knew that wasn't actually possible, I said, you know what, if they could have seen that report, they'd be so proud of you. Yeah. So it's just when children bring it up as well, not avoiding, not avoiding the subject, but just going with it. You'll, our listeners will know, I hope, that we're lucky enough now to have the Forget-Me-Not Centre, which is a fabulous new facilities for children, young people and, and family therapy. Rachel, in, in, in your words, and again, in a nutshell, if that's possible... Where do you see the Forget Me Not Centre coming in? You know, what are your hopes for it? I just think it can, you know, we can be there working with the ward, working with hospice at home when they mention families who might need some support and everybody's in a family, you mm. know, so we, we use that term broadly, I would say. And um, start... Is everybody in a family? Yeah, I think so. And even even if they're single and they live on their own, they're still in our family. Excellent. And that's exactly what we need to think about, isn't it, in today's society? That not everything is a Walton-esque family. And that, as you've said before, Rachel, families in terms of friends at school, we're all different, aren't we? Yeah, and I think, you know, but it's, it's doing things like those memory-making activities, those sort of one-to-ones and the groups that have been set up before the centre was open, bringing them in, um, yeah. finding your one-to-ones of a similar age, introducing them to each other, then it grows, introduce a family, then um, a particular person does a meal for the night, then we do the same meal and we invite other families as well, then another family do their meal, you know, and, and on top of that, if there's, you know, some some big problems, like Heather was talking about, somebody who is absolutely stuck in their grief and cannot function, we have that support available as well. So this is support, isn't it, for everybody, or are we talking about the fact that a lot of families won't need this additional support but need to know it's there? Mm-hmm. I think many, many families won't need any additional support, if, uh, particularly if the preparation work before has has been done. Um, so many people won't need the Forget-Me-Not yeah. Centre, but there'll always be a proportion who, who do need more help and who are struggling a little bit more for whatever reasons that might be. And um, I think to have, yeah, I think to have the opportunity there to do some therapeutic work with young people and families, either in groups or as one-to-ones, is just excellent. Um, and the children, young people meeting each other as well. Mm. And I think that's particularly useful, Rachel, for teens. Yeah, um, as you, you've seen in in other areas where. Um, teens may find it much more easy to talk to their peers yeah. than they do to um, 
Absolutely, family. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and very much with that age group. You know, I would see the the forget me not as um, a facilitator. You give me hope, both of you, when I listen to you. Thank you so much. I always ask this on the podcast. Is I'm always conscious that all I do is fire questions at people, and and it's a chat, and then I fire questions. Is there anything that either of you would like to say to our listeners and think? Just need Sophie to hush up and get a word in. I think just to say to people to remember that we do our best. We make the best decisions, the decisions we think are best at the right time. And there might be people listening to this who think, oh, I didn't do that. I didn't involve the children. I didn't. Don't beat yourself with a stick. Um, we do our best at the time. No, I, d I just absolutely hear, hear, concur with that. And I think, you know, um, there's there's always hope, you know, out of every situation. There's always, when I've talked to children, young people, you know, even when something really awful happens, we can often find something good. Um, and these are experiences that are, are, are real life and they do happen, you know, and grief, grief is not an illness everybody there's not one of us who won't feel that in some way shape or form you know yeah. and um yeah I, ju I just think you know just keep keep hoping and moving forward and, and learning from this and, and talking more openly that's what i would hope for thank you both so much thank you thank you if you feel this has been helpful to you and will be useful for someone else please do share it We'll be with you again soon, talking through a different palliative care subject. To make sure you don't miss the next one, simply choose the subscribe option. Thank you for listening today.